Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Uh, so we're going to be reading from Psalm 23, which is page 862 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, The next passage is Romans. Uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation of subjects to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bandage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning uh, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to some ship. The redemption of our bodies, for in this we hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope that what for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless grounds. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who loved him, who has been called accordance to his purpose. For those who are God foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed 
to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And to those he presented, he also called those who he called. He also justified those he justified. He also glorified. This is the word of God. Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Mark. Hey, how you doing? We're good? We're good. Great. Hi, my name's Andrew. Um, I was introduced as Tran. You can call me whatever you want, right? Andrew, Tran, Tran, Andrew, whatever it is. All good. Um, I'm standing in while Jacko is on holiday with his family. Holiday with his family. Um, I'm saying that in inverted commas because I feel like he's just wanting to stitch me up because I feel like I'm going to cry because Mark and Christine are going to go. So... Thanks, Jacko. <laughs> uh, he loves stitching me up. That's fine. If you are new here, uh, let me extend my welcome to you. Um, we're, we've reached the point in our service today where we're going to look at the Bible and spend some time in it and see what God might have for us t- this morning. So if you've been here in the last three weeks, uh, we've been going through Psalm 23. It's this super iconic passage in the Bible. And my hope for you today is that as we wrap up Psalm 23, um, like the last two weeks, I hope that the Psalm 23 will, will ground you in God for the oncoming year. That it'll ground you in God. Now, before I get started, um, does anyone feel like social media is kind of tracking them? And they say stuff and they, it just stuff comes up on your phone? Is it just me? Yeah, no, yes. Facebook is definitely stalking me. I don't know why this happened, but when, when we started preaching Psalm 23 a few weeks ago, um, I coincidentally, quote unquote, had this particular video that came up on my social media feed. And honestly, when it came to Psalm 23, and like, it, it never really occurred to me why people call sheep dumb. Like, but it's not until I saw this particular video. Just play it back for me. I hope there's some sound. If, you know, if people have seen this video, yeah. So, there we go. He pulls out a sheep and the sheep runs. Yeah, it's free and it's in the ditch again. <laughs> Talk about a bad day. Talk about a bad day, man. Like, it's the context of this video. You, you see this family, um, this kid's walking with his mum, I think, in the Russian countryside. Um, and he pulls, pulls out the sheep, and then only for the sheep to j- literally jump in again three seconds later. And obviously, this is very memeable content, right? <laughs> Super memeable. Um, and I remember seeing one particular comment on like, the bottom of this video, uh, something along the lines of, this is me leaving last year behind me, going straight into the new year head first into another ditch. <laughs> now, if you're like me, the first few weeks of, this, of the new year aren't normal, right? We're just, you know, we're still kind of getting out of holiday mode. We finally put away the Christmas tree. We probably just enjoyed the last of like the quiet roads in the morning because we're not enraged by school pickup traffic just quite yet. Um, but we all know that as life starts to pick up and we're truly back on the grind, um, sooner or later, inevitably, something goes wrong. Something's going to go wrong and life is going to hit us again. 
And that comment on, in those, on the video is quite true. We, leave, we left the ditch of last year behind us, and before we know, we're headfirst into another ditch, which is this year. Uh, I work as a physio, as a physio, and I've, I think I've shared this before, but one of the most common questions I get as a, um, from older people um, is that, Andrew, I used to be fit as a fiddle, and now, like, why is all this stuff happening to me? My knees are sore, my feet are sore, my back is sore. I never used to have all these issues. And I tell them it's degenerative change, right? Which is the clinically polite way of saying, Father Time is ticking. <laughs> but realistically, if we live long enough, we're all going to experience issues. We're all going to go have some issues, whether it be like physical or like stuff to do with your mental health, maybe, or Maybe it's our relationships, our family, our friendships. Maybe it's work pressures or your financial situation. Or maybe it's just generalized existential angst against the world. Fast Christians, we know that living in this world, a part of the reality of living in this world is that it's, it's broken. And if you're not a Christian here today, I think you would find it hard, hard to argue with me that you know the world is, that we live in is pretty messed up. And part of the, the brokenness of the world is that some experience it more than others. Now, I'm not trying to get you depressed before Sunday lunch, but if your life is, especially if your life is going really well, I'm not saying that as soon as you leave here, you're going to get hit by a bus or you're going to break your hip. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that the nature of living in this world is that life will inevitably throw you some sort of curveball some sort of trial or tribulation. And in the middle of these trials, whether you're a Christian or not, especially if the trial is severe or quite long-standing, you may face the question, where is God in all this? Where is God in all of this? The reason why I bring all this up is because Psalm 23 answers this, friends. As we've seen over the last few weeks, it offers us a picture of what life is like for the Christian who knows God. As Jacko has mentioned, it's not a psalm about death, but it's rather a psalm about life and life to the full. And this kind of life is expressed in this particular psalm's three core convictions. The first two we looked at in the first two weeks, I shall not want and I shall not fear. And today's confession which we'll look at, is I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So before we start exploring what this means and what its implications are for us, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer and ask that God help us this morning, hey? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that it is the ways we, the, the means that we know who you are and what you are like. I pray that we encounter you today, and, and as we do, we help us to magnify you, make much of you, make you big. Pray, Lord, that you fill us with confidence in your character and in your ways. I pray, Spirit, that you do a work in us, you comfort us where we need comfort. I pray that you challenge us where we are stubborn, and I pray that you open our eyes to see the beauty and the glory of the Lord, so that when we leave, when we leave here today, we may radiate your goodness towards others. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray this together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So, as we've seen from our reading in Psalm 23, um, we've seen that it's been 
clearly, it's, it's, a, it's a journey for sheep, right? The, the shepherd's with the sheep, he's caring for the sheep, he's leading the sheep down the path, he leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. And then you know, all of a sudden you hit verse 5, which is where we're going to start today, verse 5. And the shepherd imagery, the shepherd imagery drops, and you get a far more human image. This, isn't, this is not to negate the first four verses about, being, about the great shepherd. The Lord is still the great shepherd, absolutely, 100%. However, the psalmist here moves towards the image of a banquet where the Lord is the great host. In these last two verses, we see the picture of this generous host providing for his guests. And we learn three things about this great host. Firstly, that he is intimately present. God is intimately present. Let's read verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I, don't, I don't know about if you're like me, but if you've previously read this passage, um, the first thing that sticks out to me is, is food. Like, if you know me at all, like, I'm, I feel like I'm like, like my dog sometimes. I am very food motivated. <laughs> um, like any time the Bible talks about food, I'm, I'm 100% there for it, right? And why wouldn't you be? Food is this carnal need of ours, of, of, of yours and mine. So it's natural to read this and initially think that the psalmist is talking about food on a table. He's talking about, well, well if he's talking about that, it's, it's, it's easy to conclude like, oh, is the, is the psalmist talking about then provision? Is he talking about like material kind of stuff? Hey, I mean, you see there's a cup overflowing, there's food, wine. That's my kind of party, bro. Like, that, that sounds like God's going to provide something for me. And I think, yes, it is true that God will provide for his children. Jesus even affirms in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. However, however, friends, I think if we just see this passage is simply meaning that God is our provider, which he, again, he is, I'm not knocking that, he absolutely is. I think we're actually missing out on a much larger and more important aspect about this image that the psalmist is using. You see, rather the psalmist is using the metaphor here to tell us something about God. You see, in ancient Israel, to invite someone into your home, to prepare a spread and to share a meal with food and drink. It's actually a sign of deep communion, deep intimacy. It's not just about the food, friends. We've just had Christmas a few weeks ago, obviously, and I'm sure for some of us, those who've set up the, the Christmas spread of the table, we've oftentimes thought it's just about, well, we, we get into the mindset of just thinking it's just about the spread, right? I certainly know for myself, when I was cooking up Christmas lunch and dinner and stuff, to provide all the elements of the Christmas dinner, you get so focused on that. But at the end of the day, what is not the point of the table, is not the point of the meal. This is not ultimately about gathering around people and being in deep and, and, and in deep, fairly intimate connection with each other. Is that not the point? I'm like, think of a wedding reception, for example. Like at the banquet at a wedding reception, we feel really uncomfortable with people we don't know super well. Why? Because there's something inherently intimate about having a meal with someone, right? 
The psalmist is saying that the Lord, yes, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the, the God who gave his personal name, Yahweh, I am. This Lord has already, he already intimately knows you. He already intimately knows his sheep and he's prepared a table for his people to likewise intimately know him. And this is incredible, friends, especially when you consider the other pagan deities of the time, right? Other pagan deities of the ancient Near East, to, to, to be accepted by them or to earn favor with them, you would need to sacrifice something. And that oftentimes brutally involved the killing of humans or babies. But here, we have a picture of the great Yahweh, the great host himself, as high and mighty as he is, being personal, wanting to commune and to be intimately known to the psalmist and inherently his people. Friends, if you, if you know God, if you know God, how does God wanting depth of relationship with you, how does that change your today? How does God wanting depth of relationship change things for you today? The fact that, yes, God is, he, he is your provider, absolutely, but he is seeking intimacy with you. He's seeking depth of relationship with you. And not just the 90-minute hangout on a Sunday. When we think about it, God knows everything about you. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses, your triumphs, your troubles. And there's great comfort in the fact that he knows us inside out. Like a parent who knows their baby, it gives them security. And we're the baby. But also, what would it do for you in your life if you knew God more intimately? And I'm not just saying that you know more facts about him. What I'm referring to, when I say knowing him, what I'm referring to is that we cherish him, that we relish in him, that we delight in him, in who he is. That's what God wants for us for us to know him, both for his glory's sake and for our joy. And this is really, really important in the light of the following line in the psalm. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I know we spent a lot of time on this verse already, but I'm super glad the psalmist spends time mentioning to mention this because the psalmist is fully aware that just because God is, the psalmist is fully aware that just because God is present, it does not mean that his enemies are absent. In fact, the psalmist tells us at this metaphorical table that his enemies were actually present. Now, we don't know the exact historical context of this psalm, we don't know what, if, what kind of life events it was referring to or whatever, but whatever the context is, the psalmist is realistic about his situation. Yes, God is intimately communing with him, but his problems haven't gone away. And for us, I think it is quite easy to think, if God is with me, doesn't that mean everything's going to be okay? Doesn't that mean everything's going to be okay, Tran? Like... It's quite tempting to think that if God is with me then, then I won't have any problems. Or if we do have problems, we'll just overcome it real simple. No difficulty at all, right? But realistically, we know this isn't true. And when we do have problems, it's tempting to say, why God, why are you putting me through this? It's easy to get really cynical. Ironically, like this image of our friend Bob the Tomato here. Bob the Tomato. 
Anyway, he looks really cynical. That's the whole point of it, right? While it is true that in one sense, yes, everything is okay since God is with me, that is kind of true, but that doesn't ultimately mean that bad things won't happen to you. And honestly, suffering can make us question God, and it can challenge our trust in him. But what I find encouraging about this metaphor here is that although we, we, actually, learn that the, um, we actually learn that the presence of the, psalm, uh, the psalmist's enemies actually tells us something about the great host. It tells us about something about the one who's in charge of the table. That if the psalmist's enemies were there, then it must mean that the great host, the great host actually allowed them to be there in the first place. If you're struggling in adversity today and you're struggling to trust God, let me encourage you to look at the character of God, the great host. We might struggle with the idea of why God might let suffering happen. But Christian, let me humbly ask you, if God didn't even spare his own son from suffering from, his own, from the hands of his own creation, why should God spare us from having to go through such trials? For us today, whether your enemies be you know, actual people that oppose you, well, no, you're all nice people, I don't think that's the case, but if that's the case, or maybe your enemies are your life circumstances as a result of living in this fallen world, or life is just really, really hard, or maybe it's the consequences of your sinful choices or the sinful choices of others, or maybe, dare say, maybe if it's even dark spiritual oppression from the works of Satan and his cronies, because yes, that is a real, that's a real thing. Friends, Psalm 23 affirms that the presence of our enemies is not the absence of our God. Instead, the presence of our en- in the, instead, in the presence of our enemies, we should revel, not them, but in the great host because he is intimately present and that means that he is in control. This is not to say that you should just be blissfully ignorant of your enemies in this life and pretend everything is all pretty and handy dandy. Um, because Christians can still look to God and be real in their suffering. We can still look to God and be real in our suffering because our enemies are actually real. And you know what? God does not deny the existence of your problems. Yes, they might be sitting before us at the table, taunting us, teasing us. But at the end of the day, this is the Lord's table, friends. This is the Lord's table. And what's better is that the great host is intimately present. Which leads me on to our second point today, that the Lord is refreshingly satisfying. The God is refreshingly satisfying. The second half of verse five runs like this. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The image of the host pouring oil over the head of the, over the psalmist is important for a couple of reasons here. Um, one, it, it's a way that hosts could show an honor towards their guests because it connoted wealth and generosity. But more importantly, guests often had oil poured over their heads because dry skin on their head was actually a problem for people in the ancient Near East, especially if you were traveling in the hot desert. So pouring oil was a refreshment that renewed and healed the guest. Now, I don't have dry skin on my head, but my skin does actually dry out a little bit in the the dry heat of Adelaide. And sometimes my eczema can really act up. 
I don't, know if you know, I don't know if you've had dry skin before, but when it gets really dry, it comes sore and irritated and eventually inflamed. And when that happens, it is super itchy. And there are days when parts of my skin feel like they're so dry and itchy, I just want to rip it off. I, I, I kid you not. I've bled sometimes because it's that annoying. But let me tell you what. Thank God for modern medicine, because my GP prescribed this really potent steroid oil cream, and when my eczema acts up, I put on this really oily cream and hydrates it, and it soothes it, and well, three to five days later, you you can breathe out because your skin is restored. And life is like that. We will get sore, we'll get irritated, and we'll get inflamed from the troubles of this world. But in the midst of our journey through this world, friends, and through the midst of the trials of our life, God is able to refresh and to heal us. You might be wondering, how does, how does God refresh and heal me? I'll put it this way. Do you have people in your life, well, there are people in your life that you, politely putting, you don't like hanging out with because you find them a little bit much, they deplete you, being with them feels like a bit, you know, extractive. If that person is in the room right now, if it's a spouse, don't look at them, please, right now. <laughs> but then, if you have people that you love being around, think of those people that you love being around. They're an absolute joy. They fill up your tank. They make you feel encouraged and a bit more whole. God is like that. Except, we're the ones that are life-sucking and extractive, and he's the one that makes us whole. But unlike us, God doesn't see us as just life-suckers that need to be discarded. And I think that's why the psalmist goes and from the imagery of sheep to the banquet here in Psalm 23, God doesn't merely just see us as dumb sheep that are in, a, in a ditch. He lifts us up. He elevates us. He makes us whole. And he gives us rest and restoration. And he cares for us as his esteemed guests. Being in communion with God soothes and restores us. And our souls are able to just, just breathe out. Rest and refreshed. It's no wonder that the psalmist also uses the image of a cup overflowing at the end of this verse. He says, my cup overflows. Again, this doesn't merely speak to the provision of God. That is true, he does. But rather, the cup here is the life of the believer. And the bountiful host is able to satisfy the believer's life and make life feel so full that it is up to the brim and overflowing. Again, for the psalmist, we don't know the details of the situation he's in, but we know that he's going through a really rough patch. But in the middle of it all, in the middle of it all, he's able to say that God is his overwhelming satisfaction. The psalmist is telling us that you can experience the refreshment of God by knowing who he is, by communing with him, by reveling in who he is, friends. God is able to be the satisfaction of your life and that, that, can over, um, that cannot be overcome by your circumstances and cannot help but overflow into the lives of others. 
A poignant example from the Bible is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Paul talks about having this, this thorn in the side of his flesh. And we don't know if it's this figurative thorn or this literal thorn, if it's a person, if it's a medical thing. We don't know what it is. But Paul asked God three times to take it away. And God said to him that his grace, his unmerited favor towards him was sufficient for him. The NLT puts it lovely, like this way. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul was satisfied in knowing God, his character, and his grace, and experiencing it. That's all he needed, even in hardship. And you see from Paul's life that his satisfaction in God was what enabled him to live out his life to be wrung out for the glory of God, to be, and it overflowed into many churches that he established, as well as writing the majority of the New Testament. Now, you might be thinking, dude, that's, come on, man. That's the Apostle Paul you're talking about. He was, he was an OG. He was, like, super legit, man. Like, you can't compare me to the Apostle Paul. Well, maybe not, but another example I feel like is a bit more closer to home is the late Pastor Tim Keller. Um, Tim Keller wrote this book a few years ago, several years ago, we were saying, uh, called uh, The Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. So you know, you think he knows something about pain and suffering, right? Um, if you don't know who he is, he's possibly one of the most, um, he's probably the greatest public Christian uh, intellectual of this particular generation. But in 2020, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and he died mid last year. Um, around the time of his death, I was listening to a, a whole stack of podcasts, um, and they were, one of the podcasts I was listening to replayed a, an interview they had with him just a few months earlier. Um, and again, you'd think that Tim Keller, this great influential Christian thinker um, and pastor, uh, you'd think he'd have a great relationship with God. He'd battled cancer with several rounds of chemo and tried some immunotherapy. And he was asked in this interview about the highlights and the lowlights of the past years. And Keller's answer was this, I'll read it out for you. Um, I've annotated it a little bit, um, but he says this. This is gonna sound like an exaggeration. My wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life and spiritual life that we had before the cancer, never. I spent all my life saying that communion with God, the real presence of God, satisfy us, satisfy us every morning with your steadfast love I spent all my career telling people it was available and experienced it, some, of my, of my, some of it myself. But actually, every so often, Kathy and I will say, we're having a much better life now. This is a guy with death at his doorstep, taking everything away from him. And he, because of communion with God, he has a better life now. This is so encouraging, friends. This is so encouraging because we can, the refreshing satisfaction of knowing God is available now, even in the midst of intense pain. And so, and so, so far we've looked at, so far in this psalm, the intimate present, that God is intimately present, he's refreshingly satisfying, but we also see in the last part here that God is relentlessly pursuing. Verse six reads this. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
quick caveat here, um, a bit of bubble nerding out. Um, the NIV translates it as your goodness and love, which helps us read it a bit easier. Nothing wrong with that translation. Um, but on face value, I don't really think it captures the full poetic essence of the psalm here. More literal translations like the ESV or the NRSV says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Now you might be thinking, Andrew, that's just semantics. You're just missing one word there and you just changed another word. Why is this so important? And the reason why I highlight this is because when we read the words, surely your goodness and love, I'm like, it's tempting to think for us that it's the stuff that God gives out that follows us. You feel I me? Mean? Like it's the stuff that, that God gives that follows us. And we think those things are, we call them blessings, like God's blessed me in this particular way. And it's not saying that God doesn't bless people. He absolutely does. But it is not, it is not a far stretch to imagine um, that, it's not a stretch, it's not a stretch, to, uh, it's not, sorry, it is not a far stretch line of thinking to insinuate that these good things will kind of just happen and will just keep happening to God's people, you know, because God's, God's quote unquote goodness is just following. Does that make sense? which is clearly what the psalmist is not meaning here. Rather, verse six is so much more than you about having just good things happen to you. Rather, when we read the text, when we read the text more literally, sureness, goodness, and mercy will follow me. The psalmist is using these key attributes of God figuratively as the things that follow God's people. That goodness, this key attribute of God, that mercy, this key attribute of God, will follow us. Because at the end of the day, who or what is actually following the psalmist? It's God himself. It's goodness himself. It's love himself. It's mercy himself. It is the great host Yahweh himself following his people. It's not the things that he gives or the things that he can do that follow the psalmist. It's not his angels that are following the psalmist. No, it is the person of God himself, friends. And it's amazing to think that this great transcendent God of the universe would care enough about it himself to do it himself. It shows how much God cares for us. And not just that, but this attribute of mercy and love here, in the original text, it's something closer to the words communion, or no, sorry, commitment, or covenantal loving kindness. And when then the word, with the word follow here doesn't just mean keep up close to, but throughout the Psalms, the word follow has been used multiple times to just demonstrate the intense tenacity of an enemy chasing down the psalmist. So when the psalmist uses the word follow here, he's actually talking about the, the goodness and loving kindness of God tenaciously following and pursuing him. He's, he's intense, God is intensely pursuing them until that God is intensely pursuing the psalmist until he reaches his final destination. Which is why the psalmist ends the way he does with his final conviction, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you know anything about the temple in the Old Testament, it is this place where the manifest presence of God resided. And the psalmist is convinced that God's intense pursuit of his people will mean that they will undoubtedly be able to enjoy his presence for the rest of the days of their life. And I mean, like, how could the psalmist not be convinced of this reality, friends? The host has invited him to be into his intimate presence. The host has refreshed and satisfied his soul from the hardships of life. And the host has relentlessly pursued him, no matter the circumstance. And that is true for us as God's people today. It's absolutely true for us. 
And we know this because it is most clearly demonstrated to us by our Savior, Jesus. Through his incarnation, Jesus, who is the God, the Son, he came as human and walked intimately amongst his creation. Jesus offers us refreshment when he says, come to me, all who are weary and laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers us satisfaction when he says that the living water is available and he promises a wellspring of life inside of us. Jesus gave us his spirit who resides in us Christian believers intimately so that even in the presence of our enemies, the spirit helps us in our weakness. And more importantly, Jesus is himself goodness and mercy that follows us. We've seen Jesus' relentless pursuit of us on the cross because while we were opposed to him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be able to dwell in the house of the Lord, not just into eternity, but actually from right now so that we might be able to experience his intimate presence. Friends, do you know this Jesus? Not his stuff, not his why he affords you, but do you know this Jesus? Jesus isn't just a ticket to heaven, but he is the intimate presence himself. Do you know this all-satisfying Jesus? If you don't know him, or if you've just wandered away from him, he's chasing after you right now. Jesus doesn't want to just offer you a better life. Jesus is life in of itself. Friends, I'm going to ask you, will you come and find true life today in him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus who is the source of life and that you are life itself. We thank you that There is nothing that compares to your presence in our lives. There's nothing that satisfies like you. Help us to trust that and help us to rest in that and experience it. Especially in the midst of the difficult journeys that we might be facing today. Pray, Lord, that may we experience you so deeply, so richly that our cup overflows into the lives of others and that we cannot help but speak of your loving kindness. When the good times, Lord, come, when the good times come, Lord, help us not to forget you. I pray that you rather remind us of your daily goodness and mercy that follows us every day. In our hardships, Lord, keep us, hold on to us. As we may waver, but we know that you are constantly pursuing us. Pray that you give us the confidence, pray that you give us confidence in your unrelenting love and help us to not keep our eyes fixed on our enemies but fixed on you because you are our only hope in life and death. I pray that as we go out from here today and into the rest of this year that we truly ground ourselves in you for your glory and our joy. And thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.